Thanks for listening to Connection Church's podcast. Today's message is a part of our series, I Am Strong. We learn in this series that when we surrender our weaknesses, we gain strength. Our prayer is that you give your weakness over to God so He can use your strengths to bring Him glory. How's everyone doing this morning? Pretty good? Yeah. There we go. There we go. Um, well, I'm so thrilled to be here. My name is John. I'm the student pastor here. And if this is your first time, um, I'm not the normal guy that speaks. Our senior pastor, Brandon Williams, um, is out of town this weekend. He's actually on the uh, walk to Emmaus um, with, a, with a bunch of guys, and they're just um, pouring into the Word and encouraging um, guys um, just, just in the Lord. And so um, we're thankful that he's able to do that. And, um, but um, I'm thankful to be able to come and um, uh, speak to you all, and, and hopefully this will be an, an encouraging time for all of us. Um, and so I'm excited about this, but something I'm very excited about is y'all heard um, earlier um, when Natalie's doing announcements that next week um, is Palm Sunday and um, we've got the egg drop. And so I'm very excited about that because eggs falling from heaven is awesome. Um, and so that's going to be a great time. I'm excited about free food. And so that's even more awesome. Um, but the great thing is that next week um, we are kicking off, as we said, um, our second service. We're going to have services at 9 and 11. And um, I'm just thrilled to be able to give God more of an opportunity to be able to reach more people. And um, some of you, you might be thinking, you know, well, why, you know, why are we going to a second service? You know, obviously this is the week where um, it's, you know, college students are gone because of spring break. And so I know y'all, a lot of y'all are looking around at the seats and you're going, look, we got plenty of empty seats. You know, why are we doing this? And, you know, I was thinking about this and I was thinking about, you know, what happens if next week um, or throughout this whole week, um, we just get really passionate um, about wanting to tell other people um, about the good news of Christ. And so we go onto social media, we go onto Facebook and, and Twitter and Instagram and, and blogs, and we've been telling people about this thing next week where we get to gather together and tell people about Jesus. And you just begin inviting people and telling people. And then you go to your, um, to your work and you begin talking to your coworkers and, and inviting them, inviting them. And, and you go and talk to your classmates and you begin talking to them and talking to them. And what if next week, you know, we've got 1,500 people here. We have 2,000 people here. What if we just went out and we got so excited about the gospel that we couldn't stop inviting people and we saw God do something great? It would be awesome. And I know that part of you is probably thinking, well, John... You know, we got to kind of be realistic about stuff. I mean, that's awesome. You know, 1,500 people, 2,000 people, that would would be great. But let's be realistic about things. Is that really possible? And, you know, and I thought about that. I'm like, no, you're you're right. And I think we do need to be realistic about stuff. But, you know, I go through Scripture, and I look at the book of Acts, and I see when, when the church was first started, I see some people that they got passionate about the gospel, and um, Jesus did some extraordinary things in their lives. And because of it, um, they just told everybody they could about that. And they just continued to tell the good news of Jesus. And what happened is there was days that thousands were added to their number. There was days that they just continued to proclaim Jesus. And day after day, more and more people were added to their number. And maybe I'm just crazy enough to think that maybe we should be realistic. And we should be realistic about what the Bible says. That when a group of people get excited about the gospel and they begin proclaiming that gospel, that God does some crazy things. And Acts chapter 5 verse 42, it talks about how they never stopped proclaiming the gospel. And my prayer this week is that you will never stop proclaiming the gospel and you will invite and you will invite and you will invite and we'll see God do something incredible next week. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. People are going to come to know Jesus. So who's with me? We excited about that. All right. I'm excited. 
What do you say we jump into the, to this message? All right. So we are continuing um, week three of this series, I Am Strong. And we have been looking at this whole idea of when we are weak, God is strong. And it's kind of a, um, a different type of understanding about things because often when we're weak, you know, we're, we're not strong. That doesn't really make sense. But um, we've been looking at, um, we've been taking all of this out of 2 Corinthians 12, um, where Paul is talking about the thorn of his flesh. And he talks about even in his weaknesses, he still boasts in the Lord. And so we've been just examined that last week. We looked at the, the unity of the church and looked at, at how the church can be strong and that we're strong when we're together. We're strong when we, when we don't um, neglect meeting with one another. And so um, this week, we're just going to continue doing that. We're going to continue looking um, at our weaknesses and at our struggles and at the things that we come in contact with and how in the midst of those things, we can continue to boast in the Lord. Before we do that, I do just want to pray for us and uh, pray for this message. And so um, join me in prayer, if you will. Well, Father... God, we just love you so much, and we thank you, God, for your son. We thank you for just the gift of salvation. We thank you for the ability to gather in a room and sing praises to you, God. We pray that it was pleasing to your ear. And God, I just pray for every single person in this room. I don't know their story. I don't know what what they're coming in with. But God, I um, I do know you, and I know that you're going to meet them at the exact point in their life that they're, they're in right now, God. And we just, we just pray that, um, that your love, God, is, is expressed to them, God, and they walk out these doors encouraged. They walk out these doors knowing the truth and the reality that you sent your son to die for us, God. And for that, we can continue to live in confidence, God. And so, um, God, where I'm weak in this message, God, I'm going to pray that you're going to be strong and it's going to be your words And so, God, we just love you and we praise you and we lift all this up in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. All right. So when I was growing up, um, I don't know about y'all, but um, I used to watch a show with my dad. It was on PBS and it was called The Joy of Painting. And it was with a guy by the name of Bob Ross, had an awesome afro. Who else watched that show growing up? Maybe I'm the only old person in here, but it was awesome. Like I loved that show because like, here's a guy that. Um, he, he would start off on a painting, he'd have a, have a easel set up like this, and he, he'd go to start painting something, and it's just like, he'd, he'd do a little happy tree, and he'd just be like, and all of a sudden there's a happy tree, and then he'd do like some happy clouds, and do some happy clouds. Everything was happy, maybe that had something to do with Afro, I'm not exactly sure, but like, it was incredible, it was incredible to see him work, but oftentimes I would tune, tune into the show, and they, he'd already be kind of halfway through a painting, and I'd look at the painting, and I'm like, honestly, like, I think it kind of looks pretty good. Like I wouldn't do anything else to it. And all of a sudden he'd go over to it and he'd begin doing something. I'm like, no, 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 Bobby, what are you doing? Like, you're about to mess up the painting. Right. And like, I freaked out and then he, you know, he would do something. I'm like, it's messed up. The whole thing's messed up now. And then he'd come back with the, with the big brush and you kind of do a little swipe of the hand and you're like, oh my gosh, how did he do that? Like, it was incredible. He just like, he was able to do things that it didn't make sense to me. And I realized over and over again that then he would do that. He would, he would do this next thing. I'm like, all right, now the painting's done. Don't do anything else to it. And of course, what did he do? He went back and he did something else to it. And you're like, okay, I still didn't trust you on that one, but okay, you came through, um, but just don't do anything else. He'd go back to it again and go back to it again. And what I realized is that oftentimes I didn't see the big picture. I didn't know what he had in mind. My understanding at a, at a young age of art and my understanding of, of what he was doing, I didn't, get to, I didn't know what he was thinking. He had something else in mind, didn't he? He knew where he was wanting to take it. But I didn't know that. And so for me, it was very confusing to see him work because I didn't have that bigger picture. But he had that bigger picture. And I wonder how often in our lives is that the case? How often are we missing 
the big picture? How often does something happen on the, on the portrait and the painting of our lives where we look at it at first and we think, oh no, it's been messed up. But then, soon after that, we look back at it and we go, oh wow, I see what the Lord was doing. And so, as I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about the different times in our lives that we do that, the different times in our lives that we, we can't see the whole picture, I thought about um, the story of Job. And um, that's where we're going to be in um, throughout, throughout today. We're going to be looking at, at his life. And um, I felt like this was a, a perfect scenario of a person that didn't probably quite understand exactly what was going on. To him, it was a little confusing. To him, he didn't see the whole picture. And so if you have your Bibles, um, you can go ahead and turn to the first chapter of Job. Um, to give you a little um, background on what's going on here, um, the first, um, first verse in Job it talks about how this was, there was a man that was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. That's, this is um, what's des- describing Job. And so we see that obviously this is, this is an awesome guy. This is a guy that, that pursues the Lord. This is a guy that, that fears evil. This is a guy, or, or fears the Lord. This is a guy that shuns evil. And he's, he's continually trying to do right. He actually um, will do sacrifices for his children just on the thought that maybe they've done something that they need to be to have uh, forgiveness for. And so we see he's just this awesome guy and that the Lord looks at Job and says, and finds a lot of favor in him. And he really looks at him and says, I'm, I'm encouraged by this person. I'm proud of this person. And so then there's this one day where um, some angels come to the Lord and it says that Satan came along with them, which is a little strange, but um, we see that, that Satan came to him and all of a sudden God looks at Satan. And he says, Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And all of a sudden, you know, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking like, wait a minute, like God's offering up one of his children to Satan. Like, that's kind of weird. Like, why, why would he, why would he do this? And it doesn't quite make all that much sense to me, but he offers up Job to him because he, he found favor in Job. And I believe that God wanted to make a, make a spectacle of Satan. He wanted to show him, you know what? I'm, I'm bigger than this. And I'm going to use my servant Job to show you this. And so that's where we're picking up. Um, basically, um, uh, God has just told Satan, you can do whatever you want to Job's life. Just don't lay a finger on him. So anything you want to do to his life, you can mess with. But on, on his actual himself, don't lay a finger. And so we're going to be picking up in verse 13 of chapter 1. And um, this is what it says. It says, One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing, the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants. I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead. And I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. 
I don't know if you're like me. I read that. That's a pretty rough day, right? Like that's like, I don't know any type of bad days that y'all have had, but I don't know if any of y'all's days have ever been quite that bad. And I'm sitting there and I'm going like, oh my gosh, like I can't believe all this has happened to him. And I'm just blown away. And yet still, in spite of it, Job still bows down and, and bows down in worship and still says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but may the name of the Lord be praised. And, I'm, and that just blows me away. Like, I don't know if I'd be able to have that same type of strength. And I quickly begin realizing why God found so much favor in Job. Well, the story doesn't end there. We know that after this, Satan and the angels, they come back to God. And again, God says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? And I'm sitting there, I'm going, God, like, has this guy not gone through enough? Like, you're still going to offer up him. Why, why can't you use somebody else to try to prove something? And yet he still offers him up. And we read, and this is what Satan's response is to God. In chapter, or in chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Skin for skin, Satan replied, a man will give all he has for his own life, but now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. And so now God's given the authority to Satan, do whatever you want to Job himself, but you just can't kill him. And so we know right after this, Job was inflicted with painful sores from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. Sores too great to even comprehend that he couldn't even move. He was in that much pain. And again, and I'm sitting there, and and towards the end of that, it says that he still did not sin against God and say that God had been wrong in what he was doing. And again, I'm blown away. I'm just going like, what's, how's he doing this? How is he able to continue to praise God in the midst of this? Because I know I would be doing, I'd be like, God, what's the deal? Like, what's going on? After this, um, his three friends come and visit him. And I don't know if you've ever um, been with somebody after, um, after, after tragedy, but oftentimes you just want to sit with them. Like nobody really says anything because you don't really know what to say, but you just want to be with them. And that's kind of what's going on where his three friends, they come and sit with him and they sit for six days or seven days straight, a whole week where no one said a word because they just didn't know what to do. Job's in so much pain, he can't even talk. And you just see the, the, the comfort of his friends. Well, then for the next 35 to 36 chapters, Job finally begins speaking, and his friends begin speaking, and we, we begin seeing where they're trying to figure this whole thing out. They're trying to figure out what's going on. Like, why, why is all this stuff happening? And Job begins asking God, like, God, like, please show me what I've done. Like, please show me, reveal to me what I've done so I can, so I can not do it anymore. But like, I don't think I have done anything. And he begins accusing God. And then Job's friends begin coming to Job and saying, Job, you're out of line. You shouldn't be doing this. Obviously you have, you've sinned if you've done something. And you see the friends and Job, they're all trying to figure all this stuff out. And the crazy thing is that as they're doing this, like every single time somebody would speak, like Job would speak and I go, that's a good point, Job. Like I agree with what you're saying. And then one of his friends would be like, actually, Job, this is what's going on. And I listen to him. I'm like, actually, no, that's a good point, Job. Did you hear what he said? And like, I'm listening to him. Then another friend would speak and I'm like, oh shoot, that's a good point. So I don't, and like the whole time I'm like trying to figure this out. I, I don't, I don't get it because honestly, I looked at what these friends were saying. I looked at what Job was saying. And my thought, my honest thought was like, I kind of agree with them. I think, like, I almost feel like they're, they're even, like, what they're saying is even biblical. I don't feel like they're out of line in a lot of what they're saying. So I'm still, I'm just trying to make sense of it. 
And the thing is, is that I know that at some point God's going to speak. Like we know that's, that's usually going to be coming. So I know at some point in this story, God's going to speak up and he's going to lay it all out. But for me, I'm sitting there thinking, what could he possibly say? Because right now, I don't even know what he could do in this situation to even make it make sense. Like I don't get it. I don't understand it. And so we flash forward to, um, to Job chapter 38. And the title of this, this chapter says, The Lord Speaks. And like, whenever you read scripture and you see the Lord speaks, like, it's kind of one of those things like, look out because it's about to go down. And that's kind of what's, what's going on here. And so God's been listening to this debate back and forth, back and forth between Job and his three friends. And he's just been listening quietly. And his, and his friends, they've been trying to figure it out. They're trying to look at all this. And finally, the Lord speaks up. And in chapter 38, verse 1, this is what it says. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Oh man, it's about to go down. Like God's about to throw down. He said, brace yourself like a man. Like, I don't know if God's ever said that directly to you, but like, I would be under the table. I would be freaking out a little bit because it's about to go down. This is what God says in verse four. He says, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who marked it, or excuse me, who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its corning stone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. And he goes on and on and on with all these almost rhetorical questions to Job saying, where were you when I dug the valleys? Where were you when I created the mountains? Where were you when I created the entire earth? And what God is saying is he's like, I'm God. Have you forgotten that? Have you forgotten? Who are you to accuse me of anything? I am the creator. I am God. And in this, and he goes on for two chapters. God is just laying out all of this stuff about who he is. And finally, in chapter 40, he kind of gives Job a chance to respond. In chapter 40, verse 1, he says this. He says, the Lord said to Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. Like you've been saying all this stuff, so give it to me. It says, then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. We begin seeing that Job begins seeing this bigger picture of where he's like, in all of his questioning of trying to figure out his, his, his situation, he realized he wasn't right in that stuff. He realized he began to question the Lord. And very quickly, Job's reminded of who God is. But God doesn't stop there. He goes on for yet another two chapters. And he begins talking about his power and the fact that he's the almighty. He begins again explaining to Job the very essence of who he is. And you know, and and I think that Job continues to realize how little he really knew. He thought he understood the picture. He thought he had a good grasp of things and he realized, I don't even get anything. I don't even understand anything. And you know, I thought about all this and I thought about, you know, Job's misunderstanding, his friend's misunderstanding, even 
even my misunderstanding. And this past week we were in our staff meeting and, and I was talking about this message. And, and honestly, I was, I was talking to the rest of the staff and saying like, guys, honestly, I don't get it. Like, I don't understand what's going on in the story because I kind of still agree with, with Job's friends. And, I, and I, I'm trying to wrap my mind around all of this, but it just doesn't make sense. But yet, obviously, God still wanted to do something through this whole thing. And I'm just trying to wrap my mind around it, but it doesn't make sense. But I still see that God's glorified in this whole thing. So I just, I just don't quite get it. And Brandon, I saw he was, he was starting to go through his Bible as I'm sitting there speaking. So I knew something was about to go down and he was about to speak some wisdom into a not smart person as myself. And so I'm saying all this and saying all my, I just can't, can't understand this. And then finally, finally the, the Oracle spoke and like, he's sitting there, he's like, John, he's like, I, th- I feel like what you're saying is that we're strong when we don't lean on our, on our understanding, but we trust God in all of our heart. He's like, I feel like what you're going through right now is you're trying to figure it out. You're trying to lean on your understanding of this entire situation. But God doesn't call us to do that. And he pointed out a very popular scripture, Proverbs 3. Many of y'all probably have memorized this scripture or these two scriptures. It's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says this, it says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. You know, I've heard that verse probably a hundred times. I've seen it on t-shirts. And you know, in that moment, it kind of came alive. In that moment, I realized that's kind of the picture that maybe God's talking about. That, you know, when I look at the portrait of my life, and I see all these things that happen, and I think that, wait a minute, something just happened to mess up my image of what I think things should look like then maybe I shouldn't lean on my understanding. Because just like with Bob Ross, he has something else in mind. Maybe God has something else in mind for me. And I realize that, you know, so often when we keep things in our perspective, we, we aren't comfortable with that. Because in, in, those, in those moments that we don't understand something, or we get frustrated with something or in a weakness or in a trial or a temptation or anything like that, we kind of don't know how to handle it. This past week um, at the office, our internet has been kind of in and out. And I've kind of just come to the understanding that if you live in Statesboro, like your internet's just horrible. Like anybody else experienced that, it just kind of goes in and out. It's consistent sometimes, not in other times. But like at the office, we are losing our minds. Like we're just getting so frustrated because the internet's not working. We're just like, oh my gosh, the internet's not working. The internet's not working. What are we going to do? Like I want to access the whole world, but I can't do it in this split second. Oh my gosh, like we're losing our mind. And like I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, I'm like, wait a minute. Like, are we really going crazy over the fact that we can't access the whole world right this second? Like, it's just, it's kind of a crazy thought. But the thing is, is that I feel like in our culture, we've become so accustomed to having things perfect in every second, having things right at our fingertips, that when that small thing goes wrong, we lose our minds. And it's no wonder that if that happens, that when bigger things happen, it destroys us because we don't know how to handle it. Because we've allowed all of even the small things to make us lose our minds so that when the big thing happens, we don't even know what to do. We don't know how to trust because we've been so reliant on so many other things, so many, so reliant on ourselves, so reliant of technology, so reliant of other people. We haven't learned what it means to trust in other people. And the thing that I, I want to make clear in all of this is that I don't want to make light of anybody's situation. I don't, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know how rough it is. Um, this past week, um, 
I, uh, we got a phone call um, at the church from, from a couple that um, they just got to town and they didn't have a, a place to stay and they were going to be sleeping on the street. And they just said, look, we're just looking for a hotel room so we can get cleaned up, so we can charge our phones and um, just kind of um, at least have a warm place to stay. And um, so I, I met them up at, at a, a motel and, and got them the, uh, the room and started talking with them. And they were saying, hey, is there any way that I've got my stuff stored at, at, at a church? Can you go help me? pick up my stuff. And I'm like, all right, yeah, we can, we can go do that. And so we're driving down the road and I'm kind of thinking like, how much stuff does this guy have? Like, am I now a moving service? Is that what's happened here? And I'm trying to figure it out, but we go there and we pull up to the church and next to the shed of the church, there's two trash bags, two glad white trash bags. And he hops out of the car and grabs his bag. He's like, all right, I got all my stuff. And it's like, in that moment I go, like, this is his life. This is what's, what he's dealing with. And I began getting this bigger picture of what he was dealing with in his life. And we're driving back to the, to the motel and he pulls out of, out of the, the trash bag, a newspaper clipping that shows from a year earlier where his house burned up and they lost everything. And I realized that all he had from his past life was his newspaper clipping. But the crazy thing is, is that I was talking to him like he was encouraged. He wasn't losing hope. He wasn't losing, losing heart. And he kept on talking about how he's like, you know what, it's going to get better. And I'm just going to continue working. I'm continue looking, looking for work. And, you know, people have, have come along. They've helped me along the way. And I'm, I'm looking at this guy's story. And yet he still has so much hope in his life. And, you know, and I said, you know, I, I would love for you to come to church. And, and oftentimes when you meet people, you're like, eh, they're probably not going to come. And then I'm getting ready to come up on stage. And lo and behold, I look in the, the back of the auditorium. There they are. They're here today. They came here today because they wanted to, to, to learn more about Jesus and that they, they walked here. They couldn't even, didn't have a, a ride here. And I said, I looked at their situation. And I realized that, that obviously their situation is rough, but they're not losing heart. They're not trying to understand everything. They're not trying to look at what's going on and say, what's going on? God, why are you allowing these things to happen? They just said, you know what? We're going to continue to trust in God no matter what that means. There's a lot of times in our lives that we don't understand what's going on. Seven years ago, my dad was walking through the neighborhood trying to get some exercise. And there was a high schooler that was on his way to school and he didn't scrape off all the frost off of the front, shield, front of, his, of his windshield. And he wasn't even going fast. He was going 25 miles an hour. And he didn't see my dad on the side of the road and hit him. And he, my dad's now paralyzed from the waist down. And I'm sitting there going, God, what, what in the world? Why did this happen? Like, all that needed to happen was you to tell that kid, Scrape off the frost on your windshield and this wouldn't have happened. Like, what are you doing? And I think about my mom and I think about how when she had first gotten married to her first husband, they had a child. And when she was two years old, my sister, when she was two years old, her husband died of cancer. She's left with a, with a two-year-old. Shortly thereafter that, she, she met my father and they got married. And um, flash forward to when I'm a, in, a, in high school and her brother, my mom's brother died of brain cancer. I'm going, what's the deal? And another 10 years after that, her current husband gets hit by a car and is now paralyzed. And I'm going, God, can you give my mom a break, please? Like, I don't know if you've ever experienced that where you feel like, like, am, am I the ant with the magnifying glass? Like, what's going on? Can you please let up? I realize there's things in our lives that I don't want to even act like I understand what's going on in your life. I don't. But in the midst of all of it, are we willing to go, maybe I don't have the whole picture. Maybe my understanding isn't showing me the big picture of what's going on here. I've told my youth before that I think about, you know, a, an electrical outlet in the mindset of a baby. Because the baby, they look at this electrical outlet, and a lot of times they're sitting there and they're kind of looking at their fingers. They look back at the electrical outlet, right? And they, usually they, they look back at, like, their father, and they kind of look at him, 
Look at their fingers. Look at the outlet. Look back at him. And so, of course, the father speaks up like, don't do that. But think about it from the mindset of the baby. Because the child, the baby is sitting there thinking, um, father, uh, so I don't think you quite understand the picture. Um, there's this electrical outlet. Clearly, these two fingers belong in that electrical outlet. Look, I know that the round cube goes in the round hole. The square cube goes in the square cube. Like, I've got this all figured out. You just calm down. I've got this figured out, right? But like, that's really their mindset because that's all they know. All they know is this goes into this. That makes sense. That makes sense to my understanding. But obviously the father knows better. The father knows the bigger picture. And I wonder how much in our lives are we like that child where we think we have it all figured out to the whole grasp of our understanding. We think we have it all figured out, but maybe we don't have it quite right. Maybe we haven't quite seen what God has seen. And at the end of the book of Job, we see that he, um, Job began seeing what God saw. And at the end of, of this chapter, Job responds after God said all he had to say. And I think in that section, in, in chapter 42, I think that there's four things that we see that I think we need to take away. And I think we need to apply to our own lives, our own situations, our own weaknesses, our own trials, no matter what it is that we're going through. I, need, I think we need to apply these four things. So if you're taking notes, um, I would like you to write these down. Um, but in, in Job chapter 42, starting in verse 1, it says this. It says, Then Job replied to the Lord, I know you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. The first thing that I think we need to recognize, that Job need to recognize, is that God is God. God is God. We need to remember that God is God. God is the creator. He is the almighty. He is the alpha. He is the omega. He is the beginning. He is the end. He created everything. He is good. He is sovereign. He is faithful. He is true. We need to remember that. I think oftentimes in our life, we, we forget that. We won't ever admit that we forget that. But I think in the moment of Job dealing with his stuff, he began questioning the real the power and the greatness of God. And I wonder how often do we maybe take God out of the driver's seat and we begin putting ourselves in the driver's seat because we think we're like that, that child that looks at their situation and says, I think I know better. I don't think you know what's best. How often do we, we maybe do that? Do we take God out of that position? How often do we allow pride to come before God? We, we allow ourselves to say, you know what? I think I could have done better. I wouldn't have allowed this to happen to me. And so we, we begin thinking, you know what, God, I could have done better than you and I don't trust you. And we begin taking who God is away from him. And I think in our lives and our situations and our weaknesses, are we willing to continue to remember in spite of everything, no matter what it is that's going on, God is still God. That's always going to be the constant. He's always going to be faithful. He's always going to be sovereign. He's always going to be true. It goes on. In verse 3, excuse me, and it says, You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. The second thing that I think we need to remember and we need to do is we need to trust that God's plan is good. We need to trust that God's plan is good. Job recognized that you have something for me, that is better than I can even understand. And I'm willing to trust that. 
There's some scriptures that I'd encourage you to commit to memory. These are scriptures that, that they're popular scriptures, and I think they're popular for a reason. But the one that I've committed to memory that it gets recited so many times, but I've choose to actually not just recite it, but actually believe it is Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to pro- prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. I don't want that just to be something I put on a t-shirt. I want that to be the core of my belief about God's plan, that he plans to prosper me, plans to give me a hope, to give me a future. I want that to be in the center of who I am. Verses like Romans 8, 28. For we know that in all things, God works good or works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Do we trust that in spite of everything, God's going to work everything together for good? Because the reality is that we live in a broken world. We can't change that. I think sometimes we want to change that, but the reality is that we live in a broken world and that is what God is working around. And the great thing is, is that we have a God that works all things together. In the midst of the broken world, he works things together. In the midst of sin, in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of weakness, God works all these things together. And he's doing everything he can to be able to bring good to our life, to be able to bring his glory to our life. We can remember that if we ever doubt God's plan, if it's good or not, we can always look to the cross. Because when we look at the cross, we see, oh yes, there's the picture of the perfect plan. There's the picture of the plan that I can trust. When we're doubting God's plan, we look to the cross and say, there's nothing to doubt. He knows what he's doing. Continues on in verse four, it says, you said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. The third thing I think we need to do is we need to listen. We need to listen to God. Sometimes we need to stop trying to figure it all out. Job, he was trying to figure it out. His friends, they were trying to figure it out. Me reading this scripture was trying to make sense of this entire situation. And sometimes we just need to stop and go, God, I'm just going to stop trying to figure it out. I'm going to relax and realize that I don't have to understand everything. And I'm just going to choose to trust you. We need to take, take God's word and we need to listen to it. We need to allow his word to pierce our heart. Are we looking to God's word for understanding? Are we trying to figure out why this is happening by going to the world? Are we trying to ask Dr. Phil or Oprah? Um, I wasn't even planning on knocking them. So, I mean, they're cool, whatever. Um, but like, do we look to, to them for answers? Or do we look to scripture do we listen to what scripture is saying or do we listen to what our, our, the people around us are saying? Not that you shouldn't have wise counsel from your friends and people that encourage you, but ultimately we need to listen to the Lord. Job, he had great friends. They had good intentions, but even they didn't have it right. We need to listen to God. Are we willing to stop and listen? The final thing in verse five and six, my ears had heard of you, but my eyes, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. I think the fourth and final thing we need to do sometimes is we need to repent. We need to repent. When we look at our lives and we look at how we've treated our situation or our weakness or our struggle, and we've gotten so frustrated by it, and we've, we've accused God And for some of us, we need to look at our lives and we need to identify some of those things and we need to seek forgiveness from the Lord because we haven't been right. We haven't been right 
in this type of thinking. We need to swallow our pride in a lot of different things. I think that's the thing for me that I've been seeing over and over again is that pride's that, that issue that gets me over and over again. Not the type of pride of, oh man, I'm awesome, like I'm great, because not many people struggle with that type of pride. I mean, some people do, but really it's that hidden pride. And I think that's the thing that so often are we willing to submit to the Lord and trust, you know what? I don't have to understand everything. I'm just going to be willing to trust you. Many of us, when we're struggling with something, when we have a weakness, when we have an insecurity, or with our, when we're struggling with bitterness, or we're struggling with pride, or we have a trial going on in our lives, what happens is we allow that to affect every aspect of our lives. We allow that to affect our relationships. We allow that to affect the way that we treat other people. And so many of us in this room, not only do we need to seek forgiveness from the Lord, but we need to seek forgiveness from our friends because we've allowed bitterness and we've allowed insecurity and we've allowed all these different things that we've been struggling with in our moment. We've allowed tragedy or something that's going bad in our life to affect the way we treat other people. And they don't deserve that. Even Job's friends, they weren't loving Job through the entire thing. They started off that way. But then they begin accusing him. They begin cutting him down and begin thinking, you know what? You're the one with sin. Sometimes, are we willing to seek forgiveness from other people? Are we willing to recognize when we've done wrong? So in the end, what's, what's our takeaway from this whole story? What, what are we trying to figure out? And what I think that the story of, this, of Job, that I think what we're trying to figure out in all of this is that no matter what, God's going to get his glory, right? He's going to get his glory no matter what the situation is. He's going to get his glory. In Job chapter 42, verse 10, we kind of see the, the ending of the story. And it says, after Job had prayed for his friends because God wanted him to pray for these people that had come against him. And so the same forgiveness that God had offered Job, he encouraged Job to offer that same type of forgiveness for his friends. So after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all of the trouble that the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. So we see that things kind of worked out for Job. Things turned out better than they were even in the beginning. He was blessed even more. Now, it doesn't mean that Job still didn't have to go through a rough patch. It, that part didn't just erase out of his life. He still had that. And the, the reality is, is that I don't know how your situation is going to turn out. I don't know how your weakness is going to turn out. I don't know whatever it is that you are dealing with in this particular moment is going to turn out. But the thing is, is that all I can say is that I know what we're called to do and we're called to trust in the midst of our misunderstanding, of our midst, midst of the things that we don't get, we're called to trust. Proverbs says, lean not on your own understanding, but trust in the Lord with all of your heart. No matter how it turns out. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They're getting ready to go into the, the fiery furnace and they're going, look, we think that, the, that God's gonna save us and we're not gonna burn up, but we really don't know. But you know what? Even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow. They didn't understand the situation. They didn't see the big picture. They just said, for us to, to think about it with our understanding, we're going to burn up. But for us to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts, yeah, there's probably a way. 
and we're going to trust that God's way is better. The thing that I would say is that I don't know why God needed to, to use Job's life, why at the expense of Job's life, he needed to do any of these things. I don't, I don't quite understand it. I still don't think it's probably that fair to Job, you know? But the other thing I think about and is that, think about, remember the beginning of Job when Satan was, was in the mix and, you know, he was coming to God and God was saying, hey, you know, why don't you, you know, um, have you considered my servant Job, right? The crazy thing is that after that, those two occurrences, Satan's never mentioned again throughout any, of the, any part of the book of Job. And you want to know why I think that's it, that is? It's because God, as I said in the beginning, made a spectacle of him. God proved his glory, his faithfulness, his, his goodness. And there was no need to even bring up the name of Satan again because Satan, he was nowhere to be found because he realized, shoot, like I thought I was going to get this guy and yet still God's glory was shown. The reality is that I don't always understand everything. We look at the cross, we look at Jesus's life. You know what? I don't know why Jesus, you know, part of me doesn't know why Jesus had to die. Why did that need to happen? And, and even Jesus, he struggled with that. He goes, God, if there's any other way on the last day before he goes to the cross, he's sitting there praying. He's God, he says, God, please take this cup from me. I don't want to do this. God didn't want to have to use his, his life to, so that the, the glory of God was shown. I mean, he knew he was the son of God and he knew he needed to fulfill his mission, but he didn't really want to go through it. Like his, his man side of him said, I don't really want to go through this. But God's like, you know what? I need you to go through this because I want my glory to be shown through this whole thing. And I'm going to use this in incredible ways. The reality is that I don't quite understand why that needed to happen, but oh, how I'm thankful for that, right? Now, th- and think about this. Think about the disciples, they're looking at their portrait of life. They're looking at, at their portrait of what's going on. And all of a sudden, the worst thing that could happen would be for Jesus to be put to death, right? For them, basically, the whole painting just has this big scar in it now. Because they're like, we were painting this picture. We were seeing how things were going to look. And all of a sudden, wait, he died? Like, what's the deal? And if, for those, think about those three days where they're sitting there going, I can't make sense of any of this. But see, we know... God had something else in mind, don't we? We know that in the midst of the worst thing possible, the son of God being put to death, God turned that into the most incredible thing in the whole world. The reality is the disciples, they didn't get it. They didn't understand that. They thought the painting's ruined. They thought this picture of what we've been going after and what we've been, what we've been doing is now gone. And God's saying, oh, it's just beginning I want you to trust me with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. And see, here's the thing, and this is where we'll close, is that, as I've said before, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're dealing with. And for some of you, this is the the last straw. You don't have much, much left. The thing that you're going through, whatever that is, if that's just um, temptation from the enemy, if that's a, a certain weakness you're dealing with, whether it's bitterness or insecurity or pride or, or any of the things, if it's your marriage that you're, you're going through and it's just rough and you're just going, God, I don't know how much I can take this of this. If it's, there's been tragedy, there's been death, and you're just going, God, I don't understand what's going on in the midst of all of that. I think we have to stop and we have to go, God, I don't have anything else. But you know what, what we do in those situations? 
we sing to God and we say, God, give me faith. That's why we sing that song. So we say, God, give me faith to trust what you say. That's all I got. God, I'm coming in here today. I'm coming into these, these church doors and all I have left is just asking you to give me faith because I don't have much else. And the thing that I think that we need to do is we need to, we need to look at our lives and we need to examine what's been going on and what's going on with our lives and we need to say, God, have I allowed the circumstances of my life? Have we allowed the weaknesses in my life, the trials in my life to become greater and to cloud my picture of you? And so what we're going to do is before we run out of these doors, before we get into this, the, the hustle and bustle of life, I kind of want us to stop for a second, just as Job had to stop. And they're, they're going to be playing some music in the background and what I'm going to ask that y'all do is I want y'all to look at your life and I want you to, to think about whether it's a weakness or a trial or something you're going through or something that's tough in your life. I want you to examine your, your life and go, in this situation, with this particular issue, have I forgotten that God was God? Have I not trusted that his plan still could ultimately be good? Have I continued to look at my view of the picture and have forgotten that God's the one painting the picture, not me? Have I maybe not stopped to listen and to just hear from you? Are there things in my life that I haven't repented of and that I need to, I need to get on my knees and I need to seek the Lord in forgiveness and I need to seek other people in forgiveness? I want you to take those four things and I want you to apply it with what you're going through right this second. And if you want to stay in your seat, you can stay in your seat. If you want to come down front, you can come down front. If you want to pray with somebody, we're going to have um, some of our prayer team. They're going to be up here. They're going to have yellow lanyards so you can, you can find them. If you want to just grab the person next to you, whatever you need to do. But let's stop for just a second. Let's just look at our life. Let's see, God, where have I allowed my weakness to trap me? Where have I allowed my struggle to take a hold to where I've forgotten just the simple truth of who you are? So we're going to do that. We're going to have that time. And so I just encourage you, get with the Lord. Spend some time with him. This could very well be some of the best minutes that you spend all day long because it's with your heavenly father. So right now, I want you to get with the Lord. And then as a congregation, we're going to come together and we're going to acknowledge that we don't have it all figured out. We're going to come together and we're going to say, you know, I may be weak, but I remember that your spirit is strong in me. And I, I know my flesh may fail, but God, oh my God, you never will. We're going to sing that together. And we're going to watch out of these doors, knowing that no matter what we're going through, that is true. And it's on that foundation this community, your lives, your family, this planet is going to be revolutionized. I truly believe that. So right now, get with the Lord.